Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. Get ready for some awesome. Mm, solid, solid. Jonathan, let me ask you a question. Would you ever like to be a peacemaker? Would you like to be a peacemaker ever, Jonathan? Uh, threes go to nine in unhealth. So. so that means you're a peacemaker quite often. So let me tell you who's a healthy peacemaker. Telos. Now, Telos is an organization that forms communities of peacemakers to help heal seemingly intractable conflict. Have you ever said the word intractable before, Jonathan? Uh, only when I'm trying to be pretentious. Okay. Well, you could be pretentious or you could join one of Telos's transformational pilgrimages. I didn't say that word right, did wait, I? Wait, are you re- uh, Wait, hold on. These aren't your words. I'm not trying to bag on Telos. I'm trying to bag on you. Just I mean, to be cool. clear, that's a fine cool. organization. Okay. One of their pilgrimages to either Israel slash Palestine or the American South to see the world with a different lens and understand what it means to be a peacemaker in these divisive times. Visit Telos, T-E-L-O-S, group.org to contact them and learn how you can guide your church, your friends, your community in the discipleship of peacemaking there you go tell us that's the group you went with right? it is yeah I, I did go on the trip with that group and uh i really i really like that trip it was good cool huh. well you know um <clears throat> jonathan we were together this uh this month a few weeks ago out in um malibu for the pepperdine bible lectures and uh, I went, young, the rich man and lazarus <laughs> as you were in your as you were in your fancy bedroom with your own bathroom and me and Michael Peters and Josh Ross were sleeping on couches outside just wondering if we would get any crumbs <laughs> I let you use the bathroom okay I I shared the bathroom when it was appropriate and anyway while we were out there uh for Harbor another uh, great event thank you Mike That's great Ray it was Gibson. really great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was great. What was your favorite thing about it? Sarah Barton. Yeah, she did. I, and I loved uh, Ashley and Seedman's um, thing on evangelism. I I uh, love that. Uh, I I'm, I've actually sent that to my shepherds, just trying to get them to hear. I think that these are people who have really spent a lot of time learning. Um, best practices and what helps churches to think like an outsider for the outsiders. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that you heard, even on the podcast that we did with Chris, Rick, and the Joshes, is that there's a lot of like just good practical wisdom about how to connect with people, and in a very thoughtful way that has been developed over decades of doing this. So yeah, that's Rick and Chris for you. And, and I'll Chris. tell you this. Uh, United Voice Worship. Uh, this, you know, obviously it sounds really biased because Josh Kasinger is one of my friends and we work together. But there's a reason I really wanted to hire him. Yeah, um, I, it know, was. I really like it was listening amazing. to, to the uh, the music at the church I'm a part of too. It was great. So, <laughs> no, hold on, did you not love? You know, I'm not. I'm not just. I'm not just trying to be you're, biased. Did you, you're completely you know, biased. You know, I really liked, I like my, uh, my coworker, my best friend. That was really good. That's cool. Dude, United Voice Worship. Okay, let's do this. Two years ago, when they led, when Ross was keynoting on Romans 8, was that not incredible? It was really I good. I feel like we talked about it then. Yeah, 
No, it was good. I, I uh, actually was just talking to a friend of mine on Sunday, and I was talking about how great a job Nick and Josh and the other guys uh, yeah. in the group did. It was cool. a great group. They're, they're, they're... Well, part of it is I just needed that. I was in a kind of dry season, and it was really a blessing. So. Not because you're sleeping on the couch. That's not what you're referring to the dry season <laughs> for. Yeah, well, Jonathan, since you, since you asked, let me tell you one of the things that I loved about being at Pepperdine is I got to, uh, to interact with some people who uh, listen to the podcast. And uh, there were some, some questions that came up from devoted podcast listeners while yeah. I was out there. Uh, one of them, actually, this is... So Miss Norsworthy. Uh, so my mom was there. I talked to her. <laughs> no, uh, there, there, was a, there was a few who said they enjoyed listening to us. One, uh, one question that... This was actually th- from Instagram while I was out there. But um, someone asked... Is this the Jonathan who's on the wrap-up show? And if so, why does he do the wrap-up show? Which I thought, that's a great question, which the people have never really got an answer as to why. Like, why should they care what you say? That's really what she was asking. And oh, I thought, I thought the question was, why would he agree to this? No, I don't think that's what it was. I well, it was maybe, just, maybe. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure. Authorial intent, it could be. No. Why? That's not what it was. No. No. Time of day. No, it was, uh, it was a question about that, but uh, a lot of good interactions. Big shout out. I, I met a nice gentleman when I was in the, the Phoenix airport. I will not call it a Phoenician airport, even though I believe that is actually <laughs> the correct term. <laughs> no, uh, is it really? I think someone from Phoenix is a Phoenician, and so that would be a Phoenician airport. A nice gentleman named Lang who uh, listens to the show, so shout out to Lang. Thanks for buying my hey, Lang. Much appreciation on that one. What? And, you got a dinner bot for doing this? Yeah. I have never gotten anything. You get my friendship. You get my friendship. Yeah, right. Would you put that in the pro column? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you've gotten a lot. You got to meet Tom Wright and call him brother 400 times. Oh, yeah, that's true. That, that That was a great perk, getting to hang out with Tom Wright. and. I feel like I've sent you books, too, haven't I? No? Maybe? You took a book. Oh, I, did. <laughs> I did take your book. But it's like pirate laws. Like sometimes you just need to commandeer something for the greater good. That's, oh, okay. that's how so pirates like, work, I think. Yeah, no, you're nailing it. You're, Got it right on. You're on. a great pirate. Well, uh, yeah, I get that. Okay, so we've got a couple uh, podcasts from actually out at Harbor to discuss. Um, it happened on my couch that I was sleeping on. Yes, all the round the round tables. Did you call them round tables? Were basically the sectional that me and Michael Peters were sleeping on. Yeah, that, I had to explain the stench on the couch, but yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah that's Michael is working on that. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of you to throw your BFF, who's I believe is currently ranked one spot above me or two spots above me on the list. <laughs> yeah, very high, very high. He's a very elite level he's got status on the is list he, is he three so actually's four on so jonathan in case you forgot jonathan has a I'm list not gonna of go, i'm not gonna go friends. To I, I remember five the the fifth most uh meaningful friendship in his life actually is four michael peters is somewhere in one to three bub is number one i believe yeah, so bub michael is- peters two or three stop trying to csi what this list is i'm not csi i'm just using basic <laughs> deductive reasoning you yeah. only know seven people. I happen to be better than two of them. So what? That's fine. <laughs> anyway, so you turn you you also commandeered not just my book but my bed and turned it into your little podcast studio. Uh, so we get well, home from 
the lecture ship, and all of a sudden we realize there's a whole room full of people, and totally interrupt. Yeah, no guest. Yeah, it was great. Well, here's what it was: it was a great chance for me to look around and go, "Who are some of the best preachers I know?" And let me get them in a room, and that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. got them in a room. Rick Ashley, Chris Seidman, and the Joshes. Ross and Grace. The Joshes. Um, okay, one of the things that uh, we discussed is metaphors, or some would call them metaphors. <laughs> I knew you were going to say. Boy, as long as I have known and listened to Rick and loved Rick, he's always pronounced metaphors metaphors. And I have no room to talk. I mean, I no, you don't. struggle so much on pronunciation, but it's just, it's <laughs> such a... You just said pronunciation. Oh, <laughs> hashtag irony. <laughs> What's the, oh, how do you say it? What's pronunciation? Pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> my problem is always like phonics. You know, it just if it's if it looks like it should sound a certain way. You know, you never got hooked on them. I guess that's all right. Yeah, it, lo- and being love- preacher, it's so unfortunate. Uh, because he, like Ben Seibert at Highland, the executive minister there, one of my very good friends, he would always, uh, on fantasy football, he would call him, his team was always pronounce, pronunciation ability or something like that. So that's, that's me, so it's metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. But he was talking about, uh, sports metaphors and, uh, the intentionality about team, which is very thoughtful. And one of the observations is that one of the conversations that has been happening a lot is uh, how we understand uh, gender and services and having voices that represent not just each gender, but um, uh, each different ethnicity and where people come from. And because the kind of the, the, the common assumption is the people that you have on the stage represent the people that, in some ways your church is going to connect to. And so if you have all white men, then the assumption is that you would have all white men or a predominantly white male audience. Uh, But what's peculiar is that Rick's assumption, which I think is pretty accurate, is that churches have typically done a really good job of connecting uh, and building community for women, but there are actually less men involved in church, even though men historically have been the predominant voices. Yeah, it's kind of below the surface. There's kind of a Jordan Peterson conversation uh assumption that so jordan peterson when he's on that now famous kathy newman uh, interview did you see that the news interview no oh my goodness you haven't seen that is this the one where he's talking to like a reporter who's british okay i don't i don't know no yeah it's what catapulted him to notoriety I feel like I'm the only person who hasn't really jumped into the Jordan Peterson either for or against. Like, I've, it's just. Yeah. I'm, I, as far as, as far as the content of his stuff, I'm large, I'm largely indifferent. What I think you got to pay attention to is why are millions of men flocking to what he's saying? And a lot of women, his big thing is, uh, is not men versus women. I think he would say it's, uh, you you need men to be good for women, and uh, maybe a lot of times, uh, I, th- I think that conversation is underneath the surface of what you guys were talking about on that podcast. 
Um, and un- and underneath that, for me, and I- I'm obviously going to go here almost every single time is education. Uh, Richard Beck's thing yep. of at Highland, uh, he could tell whether or not somebody had a master's degree by what they thought of the book Wild at Heart, and the kind of um, things that Rick was talking about and Chris was talking about about men sounded like wild at heart. Beck's point is the more education you have, the more comfortability you have with say poetry or expressing feelings. Whereas the, the less. Yeah. Whereas if if, his point and he's connected NASCAR and poetry as kind of the polar opposite, the more educated you are, the more comfortable you're going to be with poetry, the less educated you are, the more likely you're going to be a NASCAR fan. And both, both groups have value and significance, but when the majority of your church leaders have been told you have to go to grad school to have this job, you're going to align with one type of quote-unquote masculinity, and you're going to leave another group out. Yeah, that's true. And have you ever heard of the term like beta males? Um, As in the antithesis of an alpha male? Yeah, antithesis is probably a little bit like basically they're not alpha males yeah. and and um, I, I read because Highland I was really really interested in, in gender studies stuff The and I read a lot on beta males and kind of the resentment they have towards wild at heart ministries you know the dudes that uh, yeah. John Eldridge they wouldn't, stuff yeah. yeah but they also you know give me more of a I, description of beta male uh, man, because I'm going to be honest would, in my house. I always tell my daughters when they're taking the dog outside and the dog doesn't want to listen. I say, Hey, you've got to be the alpha male. And I assume an alpha male is the person who can tell the dog what to do, which I maybe, maybe like someone who's shy, maybe someone who, uh, doesn't feel they're, you know, proficient in the stereotypical male things, or they couldn't say, let's charge this mountain and other men would follow them or other, anybody would follow them. You know, um, you know, just think a 30 year old bank teller who or accountant or, you know, just I, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything about those professions. I'm just trying to say I really am not. Gosh, I really, <laughs> you're doing great. You're doing really good. I'm just giving you all. the. Oh, little, man. But that's the industry you want to tick off the financial industry. Yeah, that's smart, Jonathan. You got this. <laughs> There's a stereotype that men need to be this, I'm going to go shoot something, I'm going to like to lift weights, I'm going to watch football, and you know, I want to go skin a deer in my, my pastime. And that's not always the type of masculinity that's experienced in church. And I think that's what, you know, Beck or even Rick and Chris to some degree are referencing in that talk. When I, talk, when I worked at the Hills, I can tell you there were a lot of uh, dudes that were paying attention to the words we sang. I'm um, thinking of one guy in particular who would, every time it was, uh, I can't remember the question that y'all were talking about, something about leaning on Jesus's breast or something, and Graves said, do you remember this? It's like, they're at, I don't, y'all, y'all said this. Graves said, what song is that? And I remember thinking, uh, when, I, when I first listened to the podcast, I remember that lyric. There's a lyric like that. Yeah. And because I know one of the dudes at the Hills said, anyway, no, I, so here's, I here's what I thinking. I do think, you know, God, the God has poured out God's spirit on the church. And that also looks like people have different passions for things. 
I think these days we say we're post-denominational, and then we turn around and we critique all the other people that don't care about the exact same things to the same degrees that we do. That's good. Whereas that was the thing that denominations were birthed from. It's and so part of my you know Church of Christ instincts is to remain you know uh, non-sectarian in any way. And one of the things I would say is some people have certain callings to the you know body of Christ different than other people's callings. And I really like a Richard Rohr and his calling towards men. I think Ashley has always had on his heart a calling for men to make, you know, make them better husbands and better fathers and better or just better single guys. And I'll tell you this. I think I have that calling a little bit in my life because me and you have talked about this off mic and on mic a lot. Uh, what breaks my heart is how most or a lot of dudes in the have any friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're they're alone. That they're they they feel like they're failing at life. They feel like they've got this high calling on them, and the only thing that they find themselves really good at are video games. Yeah, it, I mean, I mean it, we need people fighting for for that. That, and and I think the flip side is there. Some of us who thought we need to be intentional about the ways that we're creating space for God's spirit to be poured out on all humanity, where it's not just men who have the ability to do it. And we can't, we can't create this dichotomy of either you're for getting men right. back in church or we're for doing something which we believe creates a more representative community of the way God intended it to be. And there, there yeah. was a line that, um, uh, who was it? Um, I want to say it's Ben Witherington who said, uh, the biggest threat for the church is not strong women, but weak men. And I remember mm. saying that to, I think it was to Sarah Barton, honestly, and, and I might have gotten this quote completely wrong, but she said, even that sort of language is, is bad because it, it pits one against the other. And the problem for the mm. church is when men and women can't flourish together. And if we're, right. we're trying right. to create this sort of scapegoat where it's, oh, you know, we're, we don't have enough alpha males or we have too many beta males or we have too many, you know, uh, strong women or we have too many passive God has made each of us unique. And basic Enneagram teaching says there's some people who are aggressive, there's some people who are dependent, there's some people who are withdrawn. And we don't need to shame someone for how they fit into each of those categories. What we need to do is find ways to let every person flourish. And some of those are going to be alpha males, and some of those are going to be more alpha females, and some are going to be more passive men, and some are going to be more passive female. But God has made each of them with a unique calling in a life that we need to create space for. Yeah, uh, so I agree with everything almost in that sense. In that- Section. One of the things that I feel, I don't feel like anybody needs to be passive, you know. I, um, and what I mean by that is, when I hear passive, I hear I hear a like a life of blame, you oh, know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's not how I'm using, it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And that's the reason that I care about it in regards to this conversation is, in my experience, and this is limited, and this is stereotype, all that stuff. But in my experience, I I. Women tend to tend to be conscientious uh, more so than men, and men tend tend to blame. Um, like, I mean, and if I was going to try to make a theology out of this, I would say the Garden of Eden. Adam just doesn't get involved. 
You know what I'm saying? Huh. And then so, he says to God, he says to God, the woman you gave me. He blames it on her and God. We were okay. doing fine, me and you, God. And then you come along with this idea to bring a woman into the world. And, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if they were trying to speak to that. Um, Interesting. Even then, but, you know. I, anyway. I get, I, I used to get really nervous and now I get kind of excited when you start saying, here's how men are and here's how women are. Because it seems very reductionistic. And I used to get uncomfortable. And now I'm just like, oh, great. He's going to get some emails for this one. And I'm very excited. So congratulations. I look forward to hearing the f- feedback from that comment. Was that, was that reductionistic? I I, well, I don't know. To say, that, to say that in an entire gender, like all men are blaming and women yeah, are Yeah, no, no. Okay, so did you hear the part where I said, in my limited experience... Like, those are the magic words you say before you oh. say a reductionistic comment. It's kind of like when I talk to the Joshes about you, I say, bless Jonathan's heart, but... Right. Okay, got it. And so okay. it's all kind of... And like if I say, excuse, yeah. <laughs> excuse my language, then I'm allowed to say whatever I want. Right? Those, is that how that works? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, okay, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying like the passive thing. I don't, I don't think you want to give... I, I think blame is a really toxic thing for every human being's soul. And in my limited experience, dudes tend to reach for that before when. Tell me a context that Does that, that happens. First of all, let me, I co-sign. Like, passivity in the way you're describing it uh, is, you know, I'm going to blame people. It's not going to be my, I'm not going to have ownership of this. I'm a victim. Whereas I was thinking more of the, uh, the dependent, the withdrawn, and the uh, aggressive stance that the Enneagram talks about in terms of the way they relate to others, not in terms of their, um, their standoffishness about something. Yeah. So I see what you're, you're I see you're like three, seven, and eights are yeah. were the aggressive numbers. Yes. So me and you are aggressive. Well, I, I mean, I, I think you're counterphobic six, not a three. So um, you'd be a dependent stance that presents as an aggressive stance. Oh, uh, you roll your eyes. Are you afraid of that? No, I'm you're not. I, t- okay. I-09. I took I took Ian's thing just because of your snide comments over snide and over comment. again. I think it's great to be who you are. I I just can I just don't see you as a three. I just don't. What, uh, there's one moment where we're walking around the Acropolis and you're yelling out full-throated and then they would disrobe on the eve of Easter and then I just remember watching this, this girl who's from Lord knows where just go, what is wrong with that guy? Because I'm not reading that room. I'm you're not reading, reading the another Acropolis. another room. I know. I know what you're going to yeah. say. I mean, so the, it depends on who the audience is, right? No. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I get I get the landmines that are in this conversation. I really do. And I think um, I, I, I don't want to be uh, um, diminutive to our how is that wrong? Reductionistic <laughs> no. to my brothers or my sisters in this. But I'm, I'm just trying to think pastorally and practically. Mm-hmm. about about this and I'll also I I see in this conversation often a uh, often a couple of questions one why don't you care about this as much as I do you know whatever it is and that's good. and two you ought 
um, it's wrong that you don't care about this as much as I do. And, and I think, um, I do think so true. I, I do think like there, what, what Rick is trying to do, what Seedman's trying to do, you know, what I would like to do is to help people like dudes that are wanting to be better husbands and fathers and, and have friends and community and call them into deeper stuff without being against women at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, my mom is a very strong woman. My, my wife is a very strong woman and I don't want to, my daughter, you know, I, I, I care about those things as well, but anyway, I think to put a bow in this one, what I've learned from this is that not everyone has the same calling and to make everyone feel like they have to have the same calling and to judge someone because, you know, that's not the the calling they have, I, th- I think might be maybe uncharitable. So uh, good stuff there. Uh, let's talk about the conflict one, which uh, it just came out today. I'm, we're recording this a little bit early because I'm actually heading out of town uh, and so I'll be gone. We're this like 10 days early. Okay, it's a little bit, I'm going to be out of town doing the Lord's work, and so I won't be able to record as I'm serving a, a local congregation. So, we're recording, that's what I'm saying, yes, it's out early. I like how you turn into a 1950s Church of Christ preacher when you're making excuses about, what are, what are, I will be doing a gospel meeting, <laughs> and... I was just saying what I'm doing, I, I don't feel like you need to judge me for that. A, a local con congregation yeah sure that's what uh, yeah it just happens to be in hawaii so so sue me whatever okay conflict conflict okay the question we started that conversation on was the idea that actually uh, graves tweeted that often the majority of the com- compliments you get and the criticism you get really isn't about isn't about you yeah and one, of, one of the things that seems to happen over and over again is uh okay so today is the day after game of thrones just ended and I saw this hilarious tweet, and it was um, some comedian. She said, when, when I was a kid, there was this, uh, this little kid I was babysitting, and this little girl uh, punched her sister in the eye over a fruit roll-up. And then I asked this little girl, uh, what's going on? Long story short, the little girl Peter her pants at school today. She didn't have a way to communicate what was really going on, so she just punched her sister over a fruit roll-up. And then she retweeted uh, something in which a million people signed a document saying that Game of Thrones needs to rewrite the season finale because it wasn't a good enough ending. And you go... A million people? Yeah, a million people signed this petition. And so obviously it's not about the TV show. It's not about that. That's just a, a, a scapegoat for what's really going on. In the same way that a lot of criticism and compliments that, yeah. that come towards us, whatever setting you're in, it's not just about the actual situation you're in. It's about so much more of what's going on behind the scenes. I remember Ian Cron telling me once uh, that when he was doing pastoral work, you remember he would say, who else is in the room with us? Yep. So good. And I remember, my follow-up was, how would that work? And he goes, usually they would not be very happy with me. <laughs> yeah. that's. But we always bring other people. But is it really? Yeah. Yeah. It's haunted. To use Peter Rollins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's haunted. haunted. Yeah. And so the way that presents in conflict is if you're dealing with all these uh, hauntings that you have, these ghosts that you bring into the room, there's no way for anyone to be able to accurately diagnose the real conflict in the room if you can't go through each, each individual person of what, what's going on in their life, which is why self-care, spiritual practices, spiritual formation, 
uh, healthy engagement with your true self or your false self is ultimately what, what everyone has to do to be a healthy leader. I, I read this line um, not too long ago where someone said, the only peace that you find on a mountaintop is the peace that you bring with you. Mm. And I think the flip side could be true for whatever room that you're in, whatever conflict that, that you step into often is the conflict that you bring in with yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think the hardest criticism that I've ever had to go that I agreed with, mostly. Really? Yeah. I have that one part of that uh, podcast that was most fascinating. Graves doesn't have a critical voice inside his head. I don't have like a constant critical voice inside my head, but I did uh, this uh, Brad McCoy flipping group thing um, a few years ago, and he, a healthy leader, has like uh, on a scale of one to a hundred, has a seventeen as far as self critical voice, and I was like at an eighty one. Hmm. Um, prob, yeah. Um, Are you? Uh, hmm. I would like to hear more about how. <laughs> that is accurate because that would almost preclude any Enneagram one from being a healthy leader. Cause they're always going to have, I can get, I would have to, I, I'm not fully versed in the flipping groups yeah, interesting. kind of tools, but I know that they do a lot of like uh, football teams and other things do some work with churches, but gotcha. Anyway. So, okay. So you can relate to the uh, critical voice and unlike graves that you, mm-hmm. you've got that there. How do you manage yeah. that when it comes to, hearing criticism from others, hearing compliments, or in return, or or in, uh, I guess, the opposite of giving compliments or dealing with criticism that you want to give to other people? Um, I think, I think getting criticism, I actually really appreciate everybody on that podcast being really honest. You know, Mallory and Graves and Fate, they were all, you know, when you get it, you you go through several iter, iter, iterations of you know you, you're defensive. <laughs> I am just killing it on pronouncing things. The iterations or iterations, <laughs> it, they're shorter. It's an itty, oh, it's I, an itty bitty iteration. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just on this podcast, so I was saying idiot iterations. <laughs> so, uh, no, like every you know, you go through several different layers of how you respond to criticism. And when I get a negative email or something like that, I mean, your first reaction is not your, my best one. Yeah. My first reaction is, you know, have you been taking stupid pills today? <laughs> or, you know, like whatever, you know, it's defensive. It's, uh, and, and then after two, I, I realize, all right, there's a kernel of truth here. Sometimes more than a kernel of truth here. Um, I can affirm that. Yeah. And, and that's what Mallory was talking about, moving from your false yeah. self to your truest self. That false self wants mm-hmm. to just, you're taking idiot pills, you're wrong, I don't have to listen to you. Your truer self says, there's something in this that I need to hear. Is there something, like a, maybe just years and experience for you to go, my first response isn't my truest response, so I need to, to move deeper, I need to hold on and wait this thing out? Or is there something... Oh, I don't know that I'm that self-reflective. I would say uh, my first response isn't the most helpful response. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I think I would, I would 
just after years and years of doing this, um, I would, I would say it tends to be able to have more resolution if I don't shoot from the hip. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, uh, when Grace asked, asked the question, what was, uh, did he ask like what criticism or what, what was his question about that? Um, that cut the deepest. Yeah. 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 When you heard him say that question, did you have something in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say it's, it was stuff that was partially true. It, sometimes it took me months before I realized that. Okay. That's what it was. Like, you know what? They were right. Yeah. What about you? Uh, it, it, it's funny. I think I posted this uh, maybe a day or two after. Uh, and someone, uh, someone that I have a close working relationship with, cl- close relationship with, came in and said, hey, you did this the other day. This is how I heard it. And immediately I was like, I just missed that. Like, I, I'm... I, I took a shot, I missed a shot, and I, I messed up. And I, uh, the criticism that hurts the most, you would think is the, the stuff that's wrong, that they misdiagnose who you are and they say some vindictive thing about you. And, but th- that stuff doesn't stick with you, right? Like I, I, I've, I made the mistake of reading yeah. a Google review or a, uh, an Amazon review or two about my book or people have written blog posts about it and I've read maybe one, oh, really? or, one or two not so nice ones and I haven't really thought twice about them. Uh, I'm sure you have them bookmarked on your computer right now, but I, they don't matter, but it's the ones that are closest to you because that's someone who, who has no idea who I am, who I have no idea who they are, but it's someone who's closest to you and they actually, they, they, they can accurately diagnose the junk in your life. And you can't really dance around that because they they know exactly who you are. And so for me, that's the stuff that yeah that sticks with me in a different way. Yeah, I I've had a couple things that people have said to me that are just offensive and that are hurt, that have that have occupied far more space in my head than I wish they would. And I I, can't, I know right. I just can't just say hey you're evicted get out of here. They're still they're still there. And I find myself responding to things that someone said when I was 25 about me in a way that. I need to go. Hey, here's here's the answer. This this is the best way to say it, um, and it's also a good way to bring up the death of our sister Rachel Held Evans, um, which that that has happened since we blasted a wrap up, right? That happened the Saturday after Harbor. So yeah, I mean it. That's right. It took, <laughs> it took place after all these podcasts were recorded. Dude, that put me in a little bit of a funk. How so? Um, and um, one, just realizing our own mortality because we're the same age as Rachel. Yeah. Um, the Rachel was helpful to me and always encouraging on blog stuff. Really? I mean, always encouraging. The four times we interacted, yeah, on on uh, blog stuff, and then her and Richard were super close. Yeah. Um, but on Richard's Richard's blog one time, she there. I can't remember what it was that Richard was talking about, but it was something about criticism. And she said the people who are the most hard for me to receive criticism from are not my you know perceived like enemies across some certain issue, but the people that I'm the closestly aligned because the very things I care about yeah. as a way of saying. You don't care enough about it, and that would be something. That would be something. Uh, yeah. 
So, for example, um, two things. One, about Rachel Hill Evans, I think it's fascinating that we make statues for prophets, but we ourselves put them there, right? Like Jesus' quote about, as soon as Rachel passed, everybody, you know, able to honor her. And um, and then um, the other thing is going back to the gender thing. The reason I'm a little sensitive about I don't want to be reductionistic or and I want to you choose my words carefully is because I actually do care about women. I mean, my whole my own family story is um, uh, I would I really want Christianity to be good for the women in my life and or not just in my life, but the women in Arkansas. And I think it's one strategy for doing that is to disciple men. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, in terms of, and maybe this is some of um, uh, Steve Cuss's stuff about where you can't just look at one person in the system and think that that's how you're going to change the system. You, right, you got to right. change the entirety of it. And and one one part of the you know what God is doing right now is you know we've got to focus on some sisters that we have that have you know been given spiritual gifts. What are we going to do with that? What does it look like to uh, for a woman to serve in, you know, the way that she gets it in. And then the other part of that is what do you do with um, men, calling men to a higher bar? Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 I, that makes sense. Uh, Does it? I, I'm really asking. No, I, I get it. I, I want to go back to Rachel in just one second, but let me put, give you an actual response. It seems like if, if you want to help women, then let's just talk about women and because to some degree, you know, patriarchy has said that men, uh, in effect, have more significance than women. And so to say that the way that we will help women is to give more respect or attention or concern to the very people who have been set as though they matter more, it, it, it seems like you're just perpetuating the problem to some degree. And I'm not saying that's exactly what, what you're doing, but... It, it seems that the way you help any person create the image of God is that you you learn to honor the image of God in each person. And I, I get that if 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 I'm healthier, then I'm going to be able to serve my wife and love my wife better, and vice versa. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there's multiple ways to handle this. But um, I yeah, know. I don't know. All right, can we jump back to Rachel for a second? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I, like you, I, I knew Richard was very close to her, and that was. You know, one of my first responses to reach out to him, see how he me too about it, just because I know he was close to her, and and I, I had had her on, I think one time on the podcast, and searching for Sunday, yeah, yeah, that was right, which I guess just went New York Times bestseller. Um, after it did, did you see that? Yeah, it happened pos- posthumously, um, which I'm sure was, um, you know, a, a sweet little gesture, but bittersweet, um, yeah, yeah, uh, but most of all, I just see it as. This is two little kids who don't have a parent, and mm-hmm. there's a widow who's our age. And you know, I think of you know what what really matters the most at the end of the day is not that she hit the bestseller list, but that you know she was a spouse, that she was a, a parent, and that she loved the people closest to her. It, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. I feel like that's what yeah. I think that's what death does in some 
disturbing way, but it, it, in some ways it's kind of like a, it, it's, it's just like this reminder of your mortality is a real thing. And so you must reassess what yeah. matters. And it's not those yeah. things always, but uh, no, definitely going to miss um, her voice. And I, I say this to someone who just knew her from a distance, but um, it, it's weird when uh, she's now the third person who's been on the podcast, who's passed away. And uh, Josh Patrick's her, and then my friend Sean Adams, and all three of these are are deaths of people who seem to not be at that stage of life. And yeah. my response, my response for each of them uh, was to want to go back and listen to the episode. And I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't feel like I want to go reshare it or repost or something like that, but. I, I want to go back and listen to it. Yeah, you don't want to capital. You're not trying to capitalize on it, but yeah, exactly. But what I feel like it does it, is it, it. I mean, it was jarring to me. It keeps them alive. That's what listening to them does. Like you go back because it, it keeps their voice alive. It keeps their presence there. It's probably the same reason I've got a couple of friends who passed away that are still on my cell phone that I don't want to take them out of my address book. Yeah, because it just yeah. it keeps them around. Get that, man. Yeah. Well, uh, Jonathan, we're gonna have to wrap this up. I appreciate you uh, doing this podcast like early. That was nice Let me say me. about the uh, managing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah managing yeah, yeah. anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, you know, I I listen to all these podcasts and have years now. It's a requirement of our friendship, apparently. Yeah. But uh, about about ten or fifteen percent of the time, I buy the book based on the podcast, and I bought this book. Oh wow! I actually came home and told Leslie about what I found extremely helpful was him making the distinction between chronic anxiety and acute anxiety. Yep. And, you know, chronic, knowing the difference, your body not knowing the difference between the two, because basically our bodies are, we're going around all the time thinking we're in danger. Just being able to have your brain tell your, the rest of your, body on a regular basis hey you're not in danger yes they might be upset with you yes you might get some kind of you know conflict but you're not in danger yep. you know but the, i thought that was really helpful yeah that's a good word there's a difference of i'm being attacked by a tiger and oh i've got a lot of emails i need to respond to they're not the same thing yeah they're not yeah that's the right no matter how much your body yeah. wants to tell you that yeah well i'm glad that's you right. this book that was nice of you um it really was. I'll send you the receipt. No. Well, sp- well I mean, because you, you stole my last book. I had someone book. send you a new copy of it. Didn't you, did you get it in the mail? Sure. I have not got it in the mail. Oh, I mean, well, right now it seems like it's all these empty promises. Well, I've got three copies of it now. And the book we're referring to really? is Seculosity. Secu- How do you say it? I should know. It's right. Seculosity. Up. Seculosity. David Zoll. He's going to be in the podcast. That'll be the next episode. And then we get the... Pres- Have you already recorded it? Yeah, yeah. I recorded it uh, a week or, week or two ago. Um, it's good. It's good podcast. I mean, it's... I told him, I was like, this is the the series you and I did, Christians Make the Best Atheists. And I was like, I wish... What do you think about that? Oh, he thought our idea was better. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> no, he was very complimentary. He liked the idea. But then again, he had just met me. He's on my podcast. So, I mean, if you, yeah, that's right. if, if you don't <laughs> respect the, the home turf, then you're an idiot and no one's going to buy your book. But uh, that, that really is a good conversation. I like that guy a lot. And then uh, the next one I'll record is uh, the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, is going to be over at our church. 
a week and a half. And so I record that one live from my office. So that should be a lot of fun. So look forward to those next uh, month. And uh, Jonathan, we appreciate you. Appreciate you doing the podcast. Yeah. Are there, Glad to do it, man. Are there any words you would like to attempt to re-pronunciate? <laughs> no, not that I can say on here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>